you're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Craig Hansen. In today's We Hold These Truths Speaks Out, we're pleased to have as our special guest, Steve Elkins. Steve is a talk show host on the Republic Broadcasting Network, and it's entitled Off the Beaten Path with Steve Elkins. And it airs between 7 and 9 p.m. Central Time on Sunday evenings. Good evening, Steve, and welcome to our program. Well, thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. How long have you been with the RBN, and how did you choose the title of Off the Beaten Path? That's a very good question. I have been with RBN for about a year and a half now, starting in Northern California with a program I had on local community radio called Outside the Matrix 2.0. It was a very successful show. I um, focused on community politics, some world politics, and it lasted for a total of nine weeks and I was canceled. I was fired for telling too much truth. And the mm. show that got me canceled was talking about election fraud, voter fraud, where I had a, under testimony, a computer programmer staying before the committee in Tallahassee, Florida, talking about how he, how he was contracted to create a, an election flipping software and how it was used to flip elections. Uh, that stirred up my radio station, who was uh, owned by a church, a very liberal church, and as, as 501c3, they said I violated the 501c3 clause and spoke about politics. Well, that's true. Um, my whole show was politics from the day one. On the first week, on the ninth week, that was enough. I had spoken mm. too much truth, truth they didn't want to hear about election flipping, and they were very much pro-Hillary at the time. So I was given my walking papers. I caught the attention of John Stadmiller of Republic Broadcasting Network as a frequent caller, he knew I had a show. We had a contact, Ronald McDonald, who is also in the law field, uh, more of an expertise in law, not a lawyer himself. And uh, the communication came back and forth. He listened in a couple of my archive shows, thought I might fit in well with the, uh, the crew. They had a Republic Broadcasting Network, as you know, their theme, their motto is, because you can handle the truth. And I've always yeah. felt that's, that's totally me. So I uh, ended up coming aboard, and here we are about a year and a half later. Now, have you taken the same method or the message from what you had here in California to RBN, or is it a different format, or could you tell oh, our no, audience? It's the same thing. Same thing. The title came actually interesting. I, I, do, I have some animals, some dogs, and I usually take my dog on a normal walk around the, the park. It's, it's a good-sized park back in Northern California. And one day, for some reason, she broke off the normal path she has her little routine, and, you know, this dog is a creature of habit. And uh, for some reason, she broke off the path, and so it just kind of came to me, that's odd. She's never done that before, so off the beaten path, the title was born. <laughs> I've always felt that I was never on the path of just believing without questioning. I've always been a person who questions what doesn't sound right, and I felt uh, we've been guided on this pathway to never question and just go along with the accepted story. Well, that's, that's, that's not me at all. I do question, an intelligent man questions, so I question things that just don't sound right or things that don't look right. 
And if I, I'll believe it if I can see it with my own two mm -hmm. eyes. So I thought uh, the title itself, Off the Beaten Path, just fit me right. That's that's perfect, Steve. Well, um, you've been a, a participant on many of our podcasts, and it's nice to have you as our, our guest this evening. Uh, what would you like to discuss tonight? Well, let's let's start off with the the comment that Donald Trump made. I think that uh, got a lot of people shaken up this week, where he talked about Trump declares himself King of Israel, the Second Coming of God. I was very alarmed when I first saw that. But it didn't surprise me one bit, and I think I talked to Carol about this before and other people before. At one time, I thought Donald Trump was pretty much <clears throat> being controlled by the deep state, uh, whether it's through threats of, of his own person or his family. But I, when I saw this, this speech made, it kind of came pretty darn easy. It didn't come coerced. And so I started thinking to myself, well, his loyalty is for who? Uh, Israel. Make Israel great. And, of course, he swore on his campaign trail this whole campaign theme was Make America Great Again. So I was very alarmed when I saw that, uh, that quote and his, his actions, his mannerisms. His loyalty was shown that day on that, on that quote. I was very shaken by that, and uh, that's pretty much what uh, I wanted to start off with today. The loyalty. Uh, loyalty to Israel versus the United States of America. We've always known that most presidents are controlled. I'm going to say controlled by Israel. They control many things in this country. They're very, very powerful. Their lobby is very strong. I mean, they get a lot of free money from us. No strings attached. Uh, who knows how much? We hear three, $3.5 million a year, but that's, there's a lot more than that. I guarantee you that. Our government is really good with the fuzzy math. You know, They're dumbing down the numbers all the time, all the time, whether it's unemployment numbers or how much money they give to a different country. But uh, and what else do they do for another country? So we know all the numbers are fudged. Israel is very much control Wall Street. They control the mainstream media. They control Hollywood. They control everything. You control the media, you control the minds in this country. We know that for a fact. So when he made the comment, um, it didn't surprise me. I think I figured Donald Trump out pretty fast from the very beginning. I was hoping I would say to myself somewhere down the line, I got it wrong. And I'm pretty good about that. I come back and say, you know, I got this guy wrong. He actually did a really good job. But uh, I'm actually rather fearful if he becomes president for a second term. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to talk about that a little later. Some new revelations have come forward, some new factors that haven't been talked about much. I'll talk about those. But uh, just the loyalty, the, the statement that he has loyalty for Israel above the United States. And, of course, he's also loyal to corporate, corporate greed. And we're, we're really on a bad path here with this president. Uh, we were told many things in his opening statements in his campaign talking about he wanted to find peace in the world. He wanted to work with other world leaders to find peace and commerce and fair trade. Well, we've seen anything but that. And I predicted from the very beginning when he talked about how he's going to bring jobs back to America through uh, tariffs, basically a trade war, it was not going to work. It wasn't going to work for one reason, basically, because we are a nation in debt. We are in massive, massive debt. Another number they lie about is $21, $22 trillion. It's far greater than that. As another phony number they throw at you, the, the number of legals in this country, it's not 10, 12 million. That's a number they've, they've stuck by for the last 10 years, as if nobody else came in and nobody reproduced. You're talking about probably three or four times that amount. 
36 to 40 million illegals in this country. So any kind of number coming out of the White House, don't take it with a grain of sand. Take it with a bucket of sand. Every number you're being told, economic number, any number you're being told by Washington is an absolute lie. He has been the president for Israel, starting off with giving Jerusalem. Starting on the West Bank will soon be all under the control of the Israelis. If you see the map going back to 1947, the size of Palestine and what size of Israel was, and look every 10 years and look at the progression of land that was taken away from Palestine. Palestine is a sliver now compared to what it was back in 1947. If I think Donald Trump were to become president for the next four years, I'm pretty sure that sliver is going to be nothing. No. I think, um, Steve, what we've made it uh, really clear with the Trump presidency yeah. is that the U.S. is no longer a honest broker in the, in the Middle East. That's uh, true. You know, as, here at We Hold These Truths, we've been trying to educate people, uh, especially against Christian Zionism and how warlike that whole movement is and how yeah. we continue to fight these wars for Israel at the expense of our, our people coming home in body bags and national debt. Everything is we're financing their aggression. And that's something we're trying to get the word out. And hopefully uh, shows like this and your show will open up people's eyes to that. Yeah. You know, adding on top, what also Israel controls is our foreign policy. Definitely yes, exactly. controls our foreign policy. To add on top of that, about a couple of weeks ago, I was concerned also about something else. We're talking about these wars, these unnecessary wars, these needless wars. The Pentagon is actually looking right now at lowering the age of uh, enlistees going into the military mm. at the age of 16 now. So that could only spell out that the Pentagon is theorizing that they're going to be in more wars and more conflicts. And we know that Mike Pence's uh, speaking engagement, I think it was at one of the military academies, told the recruits, the brand new ones, that uh, war is in the future. So here we are, a warlike nation. And I can only say that our economy is, is where it is right now, f above water, floating is only because of the military-industrial complex. The amount of money being thrown into the military, the Department of Defense, is, for some reason, the trickle-down effect of that is keeping us afloat. We are going to have a major, major economic collapse before the 2020 elections. And I can tell you that the intelligence is part of it. We know the FBI is very corrupt. They are very rogue. We saw Peter Strzok and Lisa Page talking about how they're going to take out the president as far as this, uh, this Russian collusion hoax, there are many people in play here. And for some reason, we, we really don't have a rule of law any longer. We really don't. Uh, we have rules, uh, laws by exception. Uh, we, we point a finger, you can't do, do that, but by exception, we're allowed to do pretty much what we want to do. And this is actually going to, not only, it's, it's just going to increase more terrorism, and more hatred for this country. Uh, we've seen things we thought we wouldn't see under this president. Illegal coups, Syria, Venezuela, Iran now, beating the war drums in Iran. This is a war president. And um, maybe he will strike out and do a conflict. Of course, we know the rules of war, and the only people who actually can declare a, a, a war is actually Congress. And uh, for some reason, past presidents have got away with that, with not calling them the actual wars. They simply use different terminology, say it's a conflict. Uh, no, when you actually throw bombs at people and you start shooting at people, that actually is a war. But, um, you know, this is splitting hairs. This is the redefining of the is-is word. Mm -hmm. And uh, this president is doing it just along what uh, what uh, Billy Clinton did. 
That all depends on the definition of is is. So what's our future? It's very, very grim. And I'm going to be honest, it's very grim. Here's what I theorize is going to happen in the future. The Fed is not his friend. The Fed is going to raise the interest rates. The intelligence agencies are going to help. They couldn't get him out on sex scandals. They could not get him out on a Russian collusion. They couldn't get him out on his taxes. They've tried the 25th Amendment. They've tried everything they've canned to derail this man to get him out of office. It hasn't worked. So what they will do is tank the economy, tank the economy, blame him with it. And um, no, if we look back in history, no president, no Republican president ever wrote out an economic collapse and was back in office again. So they're going to saddle him with an economic collapse. Now, who do they have, do they have in mind on the Democrat side to take over? I have no clue. Uh, Crazy Joe Biden? No. I think he's showing some senility, maybe some dementia there with some of the things he's saying. He's really off base. Uh, I've seen now that they're trying to prevent Tulsi Gabbard from being yes. in on any more of these debates, which makes me think that she's probably the strongest runner of all of them. Elizabeth Warren's a socialist. She got caught mm -hmm. in so many lies. So I would think they would probably, they, would, they don't want Tulsi Gabbard, even though she would be good for the military-industrial complex. I have no clue of the 25, and I, and I call it the Petri dish, of candidates, who of the 25 in the Petri dish would be their, their choice, but uh, they for some reason want to block Tulsi Gabbard from the well, debates. But this is Chuck. In line with what you have been saying, Steve, do you think it's possible that the powers that be behind the president, over and above the president, including the international bankers and their organization, the Federal Reserve Bank, that they might use Donald Trump to create a war in efforts to bail out the economy as we've used wars in the past to bail out the economy? Do you think that the yeah. possibility would be to get Trump to drag us into Iran, seems to be the best candidate, with hopes of bailing out the economy? And then, of course, what happens to Trump becomes uh, insignificant uh, once we're in a, a war or something like that. What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, war does supposedly, for at least a short period of time, does bail your, your economy out of its suffering, uh, the trickle-down effect. But uh, we find the longer the wars drag on, the only the one sector, that actually anybody in the business of, of providing weaponry or things for the military, are the ones who do really well. Everybody else sacrifices, and they don't do well. Um, so it would be a short-term fix. It wouldn't last very long. Even in, Yeah, it wouldn't last very long at all. It would just be a, a short cash grab pretty much for the industry. And after that, it would be over. So uh, could they do that? Sure, they could do that. They've done it in the past. They could do it again. I think they're going to try to make this one more significant uh, to a point where the Democrats can really saddle him with conflict. You know, they're his enemy. They hate this guy. They hate him so bad. So they're looking for reasons to get him out. They may try to praise him to say, go after Iran. You have to go after them. They're producing nuclear weapons. This is, of course, we, the UAE has been in there. The inspectors have been there, in there, and they come back all the time saying, no, there's no weapons program. There's only a, a uranium enrichment program for electrical energy. That's it. There's nothing. It's all 3.7% uranium grade. It's not even close to being 80%. And uh, so they've done everything possibly they can. They've provoked. They've poked the tiger. They are trying very hard for somebody to take the bait. First, it was Syria with uh, Bashar al-Assad and it's Venezuela. Uh, 
they're, they're just trying to find somebody to take the bait to do some kind of military conflict, to take our minds off of what's really going on, because this economy is not strong. I keep hearing from Donald Trump, a strong economy, a strong economy where we're doing well. Well, there were like 3,700 store closings last year. Some major retailers uh, nearly bit the dust. Sears was bought out. We're not a strong economy. We really are not. They talked about the 2% increase on the GDP, but they forgot to tell you the 2% included a big boost of money to the, the DOD, so that shouldn't really count. But, of course, when you're fixing the numbers and you're fudging on your numbers, everything counts, and uh, there's no checking up on the facts. So it is possible. Like I said, it would be a short-term fix. Like I said, I, I see the Democrats to kind of push him in the direction of conflict and war, and then they'll use that against him when the, when the economy tanks in order to get themselves in. If I am correct, if I am correct, and, of course, um, there's some data showing there's about 73, 75 million uh, millennials who actually are in that thinking, that thought process of free. Now, we saw 25 candidates, every one of them trying to up the other, free this, free that, free education, debt uh, forgiveness, uh, free college, free health care. Everything was free. Socialism wasn't one moderator of the bunch who had the guts to ask, how are you going to pay for all that? How are you going to pay for all this? Not one. They were softball questions. So uh, taking this in consideration here, if you have 73 million to 75 million millennials who believe in entitlements, these are the, the ones who live in mom and dad's basement who can't get a job, or if they can't get a job, it's not with their career uh, from their degree. Um, and add factor in the poor people who always have their hand out, who always will be on the, the government dole of welfare or subsidy. You factor that all in, we are in some serious trouble because uh, socialism will win and we will become a socialist nation. So as we know, socialism only lasts as long as you have the money. It ends when you run out of other people's money. Steve, I want to ask you, if if, uh, Trump is the best president Israel has had, why would they want to get rid of him? Who's a better president for Israel than Trump? Well, that's interesting because the quote he made was, let me pull it up here real quick, was he spoke of the U.S. Jews, which were primarily Democrats, right? and he said they were disloyal to Israel, and he praised the Israeli Jews. I can find the actual quote here. He said about 70% of American Jews being registered as Democrats, uh, that's a lot of disloyalty. So Trump took elsewhere for answers, and lo and Holby found uh, unhinged supporter who says Israelis, the real Jews, talking about Israeli Jews, love Trump like the king of Israel and the second coming of God. Uh, so he's, he's condemning the American Jews. Evidently, I did not know their percentage was that high, 70% being Democrat. Um, but he's praising the ones who really love him or being the ones in Israel themselves. If you've noticed this, and I, you probably have noticed it, Have you noticed before every major election, presidential election, all the candidates, all the candidates, all the serious candidates go to Israel to get the blessing? Mm -hmm. That tells you how much control, how much meddling Israel does in U.S. elections. They have to be condoned. They have to be given the right to become president. They make or break a president, the best president for sale. May I make right. a, in effect something? And I have a question. Our president doesn't give up his tax returns, so we mm-hmm. can't read how much money he has. 
but also it, your tax return also tells you who you owe money to. Right. And I believe that if we actually could see the president's tax returns, we'd find out that he's the most indebted president probably to ever hold office. That's yes. just a wild guess on my part. You'd be accurate to say that, Chuck. The debtor always is a slave to the lender, the old saying goes. Right. So who are the lenders who kept Donald Trump in business all these years? That'd be right. very interesting to know. You would be correct in that, that assumption there because he's filed bankruptcy four times, not as a personal bankruptcy, as a corporate bankruptcy. So, yeah, he doesn't really want to show those taxes because if he did, it would actually show what a poor businessman he, he has been in those years. And also, we would also then put the pieces of the puzzle together to say, okay, who saved you? Who brought you back from the dead here financially? And those are the people are the deep state. Those are the financial people are the deep state. These are, these are the shadow people, the shadow government that we could also say would be associated with organized crime. Now, he's, he's worked with some very unsavory people in the past. Let me give you a little example here. There's a 60 Minutes clip from Mike Wallace going back in the 1980s. I actually played it on my show, where his wife at the time, Ivanka Trump, actually gave a daily routine of what Donald Trump does on a daily basis. Well, she actually said it in her own words. I had to replay it back a couple of times. But his day is very full, 12 hours of wheeling, dealing, and scheming. Hmm. Scheming. This is the guy who wrote the book on the art of the deal. Donald Trump is a man who takes, who takes advantage of people that are vulnerable or who are in, are in crisis. He's a man who takes advantage of people. And so, you know, the best scenario of making a deal is always that both parties leave the table feeling very satisfied, very happy on the results and negotiations. They're very, very happy. They both leave, and they'll do business probably again in the future. Donald Trump is a guy that looks to get the heads-up advantage and find vulnerabilities and ways to get a much better deal, a steel deal, we call it. So let me give you examples of that. A while back, a couple of years ago, it was found out that they were bugging Chancellor Merkel's office before negotiations, trade and negotiations. This is a president that is a schemer. He is a scammer, and he's big time on stealing information, bugging offices. He cl claims his offices were bugged. Yeah, they were. Barack Obama did that. But this man has done the same thing also to get the upper hand on negotiations. He's a very dishonest man. Steve, can I ask a, a question in a slightly different direction? We're, sure. we're talking about the problems that are being set up for us. And, mm -hmm. of course, now we're uh, witnessing these wild gyrations in the stock and bond markets. And right. I'd like to ask you, I know that you have a lot of knowledgeable people who you talk to and do business with all the time. Can you give us your ideas about what is the meaning of these crazy and wild uh, financial markets we're seeing, what this pretends for our children and grandchildren? Where is it taking us? What is your thoughts on this? further and further and further in debt. There are two little things that the government uses to prop up the financial markets. One is called quantitative easing. The other one's called plunge protection. Quantitative easing came in under Ronald Reagan. Plunge protection came in under Bill Clinton. Basically what's happening here is there's a lot of money being pumped into high-end traders on Wall Street to artificially inflate stock prices. Wall Street is not a consumer-driven market. It is not. The confidence is not there. That's why they have to use this. And actually, it's interesting that I actually had some time, when I had some time off from work, I actually watched the market so close to actually document and trace things out and find a pattern. 
And what I found that out is that about two hours before the markets close, quantitative easing and plunge protection takes place if it's needed. They basically force this money in there, like I said, to kind of artificially bring up the high-end traders to keep the, the market high. So what I found is two hours before they start putting the money in, and it's pretty amazing. I'll do 15-minute increments and watch it and watch the prices. Boom, the Dow, the NASDAQ, S&P. Oh, my gosh, look at this. This is amazing. I traced it out. I even brought my wife in one day and said, check this out. This is like clockwork. Every day, two hours before the market closes, watch this. And then it jumps, it jumps, it jumps. And then what they basically do, essentially what this is doing is this is like having a balloon and putting air in that balloon, but the, the balloon has a small little pinprick, and the air is going to come out just a little bit at a time. They're trying to pump that money into the markets, artificially inflate it, and then they stop at a certain time. And hopefully that money stays there, the prices stay there, the market stays stable, it ends on an upswing, and then they move on to the next day and see if they, can, if, if they don't need to, they don't use it, if they need it. They do the same thing all over again. I've seen for a whole week, many times in a whole week, it starts again every day. I knew the markets were really bad. I knew the economy was really poor when every day I saw quantitative easing and plunge protection two hours before the market closed. Amazing stuff to watch. Thank you. Another number that's been tweaked a lot because it came to the attention of the mainstream media was uh, the Baltic Dry Index. You may want to keep an eye on this number. It used to be a true number. It's now another number that's being manipulated by government, just like, just like Wall Street is. And the Baltic Dry Index is, is a global economic indicator of raw resources needed for manufacturing. At the height of the market when we were in it back in 1987 when we joined the Baltic Index, it was a height of 11,793. In 2016, I'm going to say, it was the lowest ever in history. 290. Yesterday was 2213. This is a number that's also been tweaked because I live near San Francisco and I can tell you those cargo container ships that come in, they used to come in frequently a long time ago. They used to come in all the time. Now they don't come in as often and they're not loaded like they were with the goods and raw materials. So that is an economic indicator there. There's lots of other indicators I've noticed that the economy is not strong. The number of thrift stores that are opening up left and right, store closures, uh, people shopping at Goodwill, Salvation Army. There's many indicators to say the economy is not strong. The number of homeless people are rising. That's another indicator that we are not doing well as a, as a nation. Steve, what about the incredibly low interest rates that seem to fly in the face of all these things that you're talking about? We would think that money would become more precious and dear and difficult to get and that the lenders would be very suspicious of lending you money at a time like this. But when you look at the bond market, you see it's uh, flying in the direction of record heights. What do you make of this? Who is manipulating these markets to cause this to happen? Is Donald Trump doing this? Uh, is this the Federal Reserve System? What, what is being done to make all these markets go up at one time, including the price of houses and uh, real estate? You know, I, I, I honestly cannot answer all that because this is a big mystery to me. By, in all theory, everything I've looked at, all my e economic indicators, we should have collapsed a long time ago. And John Stadmiller and I sat back one day. We were, we were trying to think out, well, how is this 
how is this cabal, how is this Ponzi scheme continuing? And I, I don't know. I, I, that's the $64,000 question. I don't know how they're doing it, but we know it's not going to last forever. We saw a collapse in 2008. This, one, this next one is going to be more significant than that last one. Um, we're already seeing today, I saw last week, they're already talking about, this is how bad the economy is, they're, try, they're bringing back subprime mortgages, which is basically uh, giving loans to people who have very, very bad credit. Now, we saw the housing crisis in California, and Florida was the first to, to kick it off on the, home, on the mortgage crisis. Uh, there's a movie on that you can watch, which is a very good movie, The Big Short. And I recommend, if you don't quite understand how that whole Florida thing kicked off, how the crash happened, watch The Big Short. It spells it out in pretty much layman's terms how this whole thing took off. But they've already opened it up again for more subprime mortgages, starting over the cabal of basically saying, you know, we're going to give, we're going to take a shot at this again. And we're, this economy is, is hurting. So we're going to try to get more people, more money in out there in the economy. We're going to get more houses sold. Um, they're starting the whole process all over again, uh, expecting a different result. Does it all boil down to printing more money some way or another? and pumping it into the system? Is that really what it's all about? I, I think probably a good portion of that is, yeah. I mean, uh, there's no controls on that. You know, it, what I could never figure out is, Chuck, is that nobody's ever spoken about this, but why is it legal to raise the debt ceiling? It shows no financial responsibility, accountability. That would be like you saying, I've got a Visa card here, Chase Manhattan. It's 20000 maximum on my card. I've nearly maxed it out. Maybe I have a thousand left on it. You call up Chase Manhattan and said, "Give me another ten thousand dollar extension bonus on top of the twenty thousand, and then you can't make the payments back, or you barely make the payments back a, a medial amount." So this is exactly what's what's happening. And for some reason, every president seems to think it's okay to raise the debt ceiling. It's very irresponsible. It shows no fisc fiscal responsibility, no constraint to stay within a budget. And it's not out against the law. This is insane. They tell you they want you to be financially responsible. You can't overspend on your, your, your credit, but they do it all the time. And then they just go back to, let's just print some more money, devalue the dollar. Let's just print some more money up. Well, isn't the whole idea of just kicking the can down the road because I need to get, I need to get reelected. And so if I, if I make the hard choices, no one's going to uh, reelect me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's telling everybody what they wanted to hear. I mean, Barack Obama did it with his little slogan of change. Uh, and at the time, we were, we were worried about, well, we'd get crazy John McCain in there, and he was already talking about bomb, bomb, Iran. So we didn't need to be another war. So I think that was really what shot him down from becoming a president, or he might have been taken serious. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's the pandering to what people want to hear. They want to hear these things. They want to hear this and that. And he's just pandering, and of course, he's going to go back to doing what he wants to do, taking care of Israel and taking care of the corporate greed. But like I said, I think the financial collapse is going to finish him off. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Steve, I have a question or kind of a comment. Getting back to your original starting point with respect to Donald Trump and Israel, I don't think his base of white evangelical Christians, something like 81%, actually voted for him, have diminished their ardor for Donald Trump and, of course, his love for Israel. And so we've got characters like Pastor 
Robert Jeffress from the First Dallas Baptist Church, who a few months ago called uh, evangelical Christians who don't support Trump morons. <laughs> and and so the interesting thing is that he's still going to, it appears, have that base of support from the evangelical Christians the next election, unless they wake up somehow. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, and Chuck and I talked about that earlier, and I'm not sure why why there's so much silence in in the churches these days. And there's actually there's a lot of people who are just silent. I have yet to hear politicians stand up to call something out and say, "Wait a minute here." I think maybe there might be still some of that memory of uh, when Barack Obama used the IRS to audit, and he weaponized the IRS to go after people. I think there's still that little sting. Uh, still remaining from what Obama did. Uh, but I have not heard enough from the churches to speak out about illegal wars, um, wars for Israel's on Israel's behalf. I have not heard anything, so I can only think that maybe it's attributed to that, possibly. Fear of the IRS being weaponized against them. It was interesting when uh, Trump... Uh, looked up to the sky and doing the press uh, briefing or whatever. He says, I am the chosen one. Yep. And uh, Rick Wiles on uh, True News exposed that. And he got uh, a lot of hate mail from Christians and saying, yes, Donald Trump is the chosen one. You know, how dare you? How dare you say that he's not the chosen one? God chose him to be our president. And yes, he is the chosen one. Even even later, uh, uh, Trump you know, said he was just joking about that. But it, that's the, the Christian base that supports Trump. You know, no matter what he does, he is the chosen one. Yeah. Well, if the mainstream media actually did their job and reported the news correctly and showed the bodies and all the carnage and all the destruction that this government has done with their, mm. with their militaries all over the globe, I think people, Americans being good people that they are, most are, even the religious would say, I didn't know this, and now I see right. it, and now I, I pull my support but the mainstream media has been uh, hand-tied. Hand They're tied. They're never going to show us what we need to see. They made the, the government made the mistake in Vietnam of showing the true pictures of Vietnam, which destroyed their, uh, their war. They wanted to stay there much longer. Johnson wanted to stay, and he couldn't because the media got out. The truth at that time was much better media. Of course, the yes. college kids on campus uh, picked it up and... Um, revolted and uh, demonstrated and it made a big a big event you know to to bring an end to the war and uh, this government knows that never to do that again never ever let that much knowledge ne never let the photos out of what they are doing in other countries never let that out so out of sight out of mind you can pretty much tell them any story you want to tell them and they'll have no way of, of, of verifying it mm -hmm. question. go Carol regarding Mr. Trump as president mm -hmm. and his goal to, to win again. Yeah. I was just thinking that Christian Zionists pretty much far outnumber truth-telling patriot activists such as yourself and, and your We Hold These Truths colleagues here. So I'm wondering, do you think that it's this fact that Mr. Trump knows that he has tens of millions of Christian Zionists in the pews mm -hmm. backing him do you yeah. think that's what gives him confidence that he will win in 2020? But I have a second part to that, kind of. Um, regardless of how you answered that, what mm -hmm. do you foresee happening to our republic 
if Mr. Trump loses in 2020? I mean, is there anybody who could pull our chestnuts out of the fire? He has a very good, the Christian Zionist base is very, very strong. That is pulling him through. That is giving him the confidence. If he does lose, uh, you're looking at socialism. All 25 candidates have signed on for socialism, and so I don't see any way out of that. Well, Steve, you've hit right upon what our mission is all about here. We hold these truths. We started out with the idea that we needed the people in the pews to wake up and understand what's wrong in Washington and especially what's wrong with the people who believe that they have to back the state of Israel as a religious belief. And I'm not talking about the Jewish people. And so that's always been what we've uh, concentrated on. And if you listen in with us next week, we'll have a program where we discuss that a little bit more and discuss some of these answers. But I really appreciate your point of view and your very strong positions. And I, I can tell you've been talking to some really bright people and getting some very strong ideas. Well, I'm going to say the backing of Israel, to be honest with you, I don't think as many people as we think are backing Donald Trump and supporting Israel, but they're afraid to condemn it and go out against it because of the label. Uh, you know, there's a big push now saying everything you say, if you condemn uh, the actions of Israel, you're an anti-Semite. So using that label being an anti-Semite will, will shut people up pretty fast. I call out the bad behavior of a country. I have nothing against the Israeli people at all. I have a problem with Zionism. But uh, calling out the bad behavior, just the bad behavior itself, will get a label of uh, being an anti-Semite. So that's usually what works pretty well to stifle people or, let them, or make them go along with it. I think that we've had a, a very powerful talk here with some very good insights into what's wrong at the White House level and how the White House is controlled from the top down. And probably the Federal Reserve people are just representatives of a bigger financial plot. Steve has talked to us about his feelings about the imminent financial collapse in the economy. And I don't think anybody who looks at the marketplaces right now and looks at the insane fluctuations that are going on in markets can much argue with Steve's view. I really believe that he's right on. We are on the verge of some kind of a financial event that we haven't seen before. What will be the outcome of that? Will it be a move to some sort of uh, wild socialism where money is printed out of thin air endlessly and pours into the system? Is it possible that uh, a financial event that is much worse than, than the, uh, those that we've had in recent years, sort of a setback, uh, something much worse, would actually result in an awakening of these people who have been misguided people who have been uh, supporting Donald Trump and people like that, and the state of Israel, based upon scriptural misconceptions, which we call Christian Zionism. Which way will it go? What we do know for sure is that there is a God out there who wants us to continue our work, and we're grateful for Steve's work and his long commitment, and uh, we look forward to having you back, Steve. Let me leave you one, one last thing here, Chuck, real quick. You mentioned the outcome, what's going to happen after the collapse. But the government's actually been preparing that for quite a while. If you've noticed, there's a, there's a kind of a war on cash. There's been a big push to use digital currency, uh, to use your cards, use your debit cards. And uh, I did a little survey myself with, with uh, Walmart one day, 36 lanes, and I said, what do you say the percentage 
of transactions are actually cash transactions versus a card swiping digital transaction. She said 90% of my transactions are digital, swiping the card. So understanding the digital currency, the government wants to put everybody on a digital currency because they can control your money in your accounts. They can't control cash. So there's a big push to pretty much digitalize all your currencies. They're also going to use your 401ks and anything, any other kind of financial assets that you have also to prop up a system to keep it from, it still will collapse, but they'll use it as collateral to prop up their system and start it all over again. So Steve, are you saying that uh, in the 401ks, they'll, they'll just take out your 401k and give you a treasury bond instead? Just well, they like did it the once social... before with gold, mm -hmm. right? Right. They sure did. They'll, they'll, use it as, they'll use it as collateral to prop up the system and uh, use all those financial assets to prop it up while they try to restructure their financial system. You oh. get an IOU. Yeah. I hate to bring everybody down with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, thank you so much for, for joining us this evening. I'd like to encourage our listeners to go to republicbroadcasting.org and uh, check out Off the Beaten Path with Steve Elkins, Sunday nights from 7 to 9. Thank you so much, Steve, for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1.